All right, tonight, here's what, the, here's what we're doing. Um, the title of this series is called Jerusalem Meets Rome and Meets Babylon. What I'm trying to do is give you a, a kind of a brief church history. We're going to walk our way through church history from now until spring. And as we work our way through church history, we're going to see how the gospel left Jerusalem and encountered Greek and Roman philosophy and what it did when it encountered that, then how it adopted Greek and Roman philosophy into it and syncretized. And then how that syncretization of the beliefs of the gospel and the philosophies of Rome and the state of Rome put the church in a whole new location, a whole new understanding, and it's going to move its capital from Jerusalem to Rome. And it's going to become a part of the Roman Empire. And what we're going to look at are some of the splinter groups that came off of that that said what, we, what we've encountered by this marriage that we just made with Rome is a Babylonian way of doing things, and we want out. So there were lots of people that took off. Some of them took off, like the church fathers, uh, the uh, desert fathers. That's what that group is called. The desert fathers went off into the desert and said, we don't want to live around any of that anymore. We We want our faith to be pure. So they went out and made those faiths pure. Most of those came under some sort of persecution, ultimately. Uh, Other groups, like the Lollards, the Huguenots, the Waldensians, uh, all these groups split off. Uh, Now, uh, as, as you hear those names, you, see, you may say you've heard some church history and you, you're uh, knowledgeable enough to know that those were uh, groups that were considered heretics. Okay, we have very little of their writings. Why? Because the church that persecuted them burned their writings. The per- church that persecuted them often killed all the remnants they could find of it. So the, the winners always get to write the history. So they're the ones who wrote the history of how these groups were heretical. Everybody follow where I'm coming from? So what we're going to try to do is look at what's purity in the church mean? Why do I want to do that? We just finished the summer of Live Not By Lies where we were dealing with how, the, how soft totalitarianism works its way in and forces people to change or submit, and how we were called on not to live by lies, but to live by truth. So what we're trying to do in this first section here is show you how the church was forming and why it was being successful. What was going on with the church? So uh, Al last week gave you the church structure. Every church is going to have to have a structure as, as soon as it gets up well enough to, organ, to, uh, to have any number of people at all. You can have a home Bible study and probably not have to worry about anything. As long as there's about three or four couples, you can go with it well, and it's not going to be a problem. But you start getting six to eight couples, and it starts to get a little unwieldy. It starts to get a little bit of a little friction here and there. And the, the teaching may go well. But sooner or later, one of the teachers is going to have to go on TDY, might have to take a vacation, might have to go someplace else, and it's left with someone else. When that someone else is in charge of it, that someone else might not do things quite the same way. So the solution that Paul brought was the same solution that had been brought by Jethro to Moses. Moses, you can't handle this by yourself. 
Stop trying to. You need a plurality of leaders. So plurality of leaders, when they, when they set up elders in the church, they, those were qualified people who were watching what was going on. There were people who were gifted, and those people were deacons in the church. Now, here's the deal. By our church governments today, we've turned deacons into some kind of a church officer. Deacons are not church officers. They are church servants. That's what the word means. That's what it's supposed to be. So when we're looking for deacons, we're looking for men who are, or or ladies in some situations, who are already serving. They're doing something. You can see that they've got a servant's heart because that's what it means. Everybody see where I'm at? So who do you want to be managing your church? Good servant leaders. That's what you want. So if it comes down to we can't meet together anymore and we can only meet together in small groups, we need to have management ideas in mind even when we come to small groups because those small groups might not just be Edgemont Bible Church people. Okay, uh, if, if it comes to where none of the churches can meet, you may find out in your neighborhood there were a lot more Christians than you knew about. And matter of fact, once the, the, the whole thing came down, you may find out there's several people in your neighborhood that would like to get together for a Bible study, that would like to get together to help another neighbor out, that would like to get together to say, you know, there's a widow down the street here who just, she, she doesn't have wherewithal to clean up around her house and stuff like that. We're going to do that. So let's, let's all of us, let's, as a body of, of believers together, let's go down and clean up that house in the name of Jesus. Let's get that, that area cleaned up. Maybe, maybe they had the branches fall and she's just not capable of picking the branches up. You see where I'm coming from? So you're going to want to know how to do a Bible study, how, what, what is good Bible doctrine, and that means you're, you're going to learn how to pick up your Bible and how do you go through it and teach it. It's really not rocket science, but you do have to study it. You do have to know such things as context. You do have to know some of the history behind the book. And now's a great time while you've got lots of liberal opportunities to learn how to do that because the time may come when you don't have it anymore. And if you remember on some of those people that we studied that in the book uh, Live Not By Lies, they were well studied. They knew what they were talking about. They knew not only biblical literature, they knew moral literature. They knew good literature that could be read and shared with each other. So that's what we want to be able to look at. So that's where Al and I are going with this study. That's what we want to accomplish. We want to show you that there are things that we can do as a church to prepare ourselves for a time when we may not get to meet together like we we are doing right now. Wonderful opportunity right now. Now is a great time for us to do as much advancing as we possibly can. Everybody see where I'm at? Let's do as much advancing as we possibly can. All right. In our study for tonight, Jerusalem meets Rome and finds Babylon, a study in church purity. We're going to look at martyrdom, martyrdom. And I hope to share with you why martyrdom is such an important thing. When you think of martyrdom, what comes to your mind? People dying, right? What if I told you that's an end result for some people? That martyrdom is far before that. There's something more important about martyrdom than the dying. Dying may happen. Dying may come from it, and we've, we've kind of reduced that down. But let's start this way, all right? 
God is abundant in truth. In um, Exodus 34, Moses has said, you know, I've been walking around with you for a long time, Lord, and I'm really appreciating you so very much. But you know, I know there's a closer space than where I'm at. I know that just inside that circle right there is where you are. And, and you've let me be with you up to this point. Is there a way you could show me your glory? Could, it, could I just step a little closer? And he said, back off. No, I can't let you do that or you'll die. But here's what I can do. I can hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'll show you the last part of my glory. I'll show you the hinder parts of my glory as I pass by. So he hid Moses in a rock in Exodus 34. You hear the Lord saying this. It says that as Moses was hid in the cleft of the rock, the Lord came by and proclaimed. Boy, I, I, I look forward to that. I really do hope there's a DVD, don't you, where you can plug that rascal back in and say, just tell me what it was like on the day that you said to Moses who you are. And then watch the screen. Oh, boy, I know that's going to give goosebumps all over the place. So here's the thing. He said, as he passed by, he said, the Lord, the Lord God. That is this name. He called his name, guys. That's not just L-O-R-D. He called his name Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim. That's what he proclaimed. And as he said that, he's telling you his name. And that name is not to be used. You know, the, uh, you may have some names in your home of things you call each other that you wouldn't dare say in public. They are endearing terms. They are close terms. You're just not going to say them anyplace else but right where you are in that very private setting, that endearing. That's what he's giving to Moses. He's telling Moses, this is my personal name. I'm not saying to you, Adonai. I am saying to you, Yahweh, who I am. Moses heard that, and he went on to say, I am full of grace and mercy. I abound in truth. I, I try to tell the kids at school, listen, the sharpest thing you can do is get into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2 says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now listen, anything you want to know about English is in Jesus. Anything you need to know about science is in Jesus. Anything you need to know about trigonometry, calculus, math, even just three-column addition is in the Lord Jesus. Everything you want to know about language is in the Lord Jesus. He is the author of language. So get into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel understood that, and he and the three Hebrew children he was with got into a relationship with God, and they were smarter than all the other wise men of the area. You follow that? That's the wisest thing a student can do. Get into a personal relationship with God where you're getting closer and closer to him all the time, and those subjects get opened to you because he's the one in charge of the subject. Everybody follow that? Whatever is true is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as you're thinking of anything, draw into the Lord Jesus Christ. Find out the truth that's in that. He is abounding in truth. That's what he said to him in Exodus 34, I think it's 6 and 7. 
gang, we need to, we need a refresher in that. Amen. To know that however I'm, whatever I'm working on, whatever project I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for every, every human being that's been able to use what gifts God has given. I, I'm grateful for Tesla. I'm, I'm grateful for Edison. You know, we're, we're here tonight because the work those two guys did. We're shining lights in here. If it hadn't been for these lights in here, do you know where we'd be tonight? Probably back home and in bed because it's dark. And the whole waterfall of the hormones that go into you that put you to sleep would have already started taking place when that light went down. You know what I'm saying? Because that's the way it works. As soon as the blue light is out of your eyes, there's a waterfall of hormones that start taking place that get you ready to sleep. So by the time that sun's all the way down, you're yawning. You know what I'm saying? Now, we used to laugh at, the, at the, the old people who went to bed with the chickens. Well, can I say, chickens are pretty smart. They know when to go to bed. Let me, let me ask you this. You ever laid an egg? All right, if you haven't, then maybe you need to recognize that chickens might know something you don't know. For us to be able to go to bed and to, uh, to get the rest we're supposed to get, we'd almost have to turn those things off. But here we are tonight studying the Word of God, being able to read it because of the work of some guys that figured out electricity is a fascinating thing. There's a way to capture it. There's a way to get it in here so that we can use that. That's pretty good stuff, don't you think? That's God who put that there. You follow that? Not, not every time did it, was it great believers in the living God that came up with inventions. I'm not trying to imply that at all. They could not get it if it was not in a closed world that God made himself. If it did not have design, they couldn't have found out what it was. All right? So let's just get this. God uh, uh, always speaks, acts, and thinks truth. He cannot lie. So whatever God thinks, whatever God says, whatever God does is always truthful because he's not able to lie. He just can't do it. And God has made the whole universe truly, and it demands conformity to truth. Here's the deal. He puts things into this world that he made truly and said certain things to them. These are the laws you're going to obey. Plants, you're going to have to have light. You're going to have to have water. You're going to have to have air. You're going to have to have temperature that's a right for yours. And I am commanding you to bring forth fruit. And that fruit has to have seed so that you can reproduce. That's what I'm calling on you to do. And plants, I'm calling on you to create something that these critters can eat. And I'm, I'm commanding the ground that wherever it is, it brings forth vegetation. That's why you can leave some bare ground for a little while, and you go back there in a few days, and it's covered with some kind of vegetation. Now, it may not always be covered with vegetation you can eat, but that's not the earth's fault. That's not even sin's fault. We, don't, we can't eat everything. There's a whole lot that a cow can eat that I can't possibly eat, but I know this. Once that cow eats that, won't be long till I'll be able to eat what that cow ate. You follow me? Because they're going to convert that into some type of energy that's going to become the muscle that I'm going to get to devour. That's God's command. 
That's what God wants for all the, all the things he's done. He made it truly, and they have to follow what he said. They demand truth. There's certain things that you can't make that plant do because it was made to operate in a truth system that's its truth system, and you can't make it do something else, all right? God has made truth-telling a part of the law. Just think with me this. As you go through the Ten Commandments, how important was truth? Well, let's start with number one. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other, Lord, no other gods before me. Why? There are no other gods before me. So in order for us to be truthful, we have to stop acknowledging there's anything else but that one God. You're lying when you say there's another God. That's not true. And he's made that a part of the law. How about this? Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. How important was truth? Man, if he made truth right up there at the top so that it's part of the Ten Commandments, he's made it, uh, matter of fact, its expression found several places in the Ten Commandments. Everybody see where I'm coming from? He's also made the, the whole truth-telling thing. Numbers 35.30 says that every, no one can ever accuse somebody and there be one voice of an accusation against them. But every matter will be affirmed out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. So in other words, he's not going to let one person accuse another, and that, that's a condemnation. No, they're looking for witnesses. They're looking for people who can affirm that's true. And we'll, we'll get to that as we come to another little section of it here in just a minute. God hates and finds abominable to himself any lie, deceit, or any look that is not consistent with the truth. Turn just a minute to Proverbs. By the way, if you, if you don't regularly read Proverbs, I'd like to encourage you to. Uh, that's, that's a great book to read. It's easy to uh, figure out what, how to do it. Um, I know several people have already done, done this, but I'm just going to bring it up as an opportunity for you again. Today is the 27th. Is that correct? 28th? 28th? 27th? No? 28th. So today you would read Proverbs 28. But to, what we're going to look at is Proverbs 6. So if you turn your Bibles to Proverbs 6. And we're going to pick up at 6.16. All right? How important is truth? Listen to what he said. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who bears out, who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Let me just ask you, of those seven things you just said there, how important is truth? Wow. I mean, at least three of these things involve truth and some form of telling truth. But if you look at it, what's a haughty look? If I have a haughty look, a proud look about myself, am I speaking the truth? No. No. Do I have a good reason to be haughty? Do I have a good reason to be proud? No. And when I am wearing that look, I'm wearing something I have not earned. You follow that? So that's deceitful. How important is truth? Well, as he says here, he hates, or it's an abomination to him, a lying tongue. 
He hates or an abomination to him a heart that devised wicked plans. If you're devising wicked plans, are you speaking the truth? No, you're trying to find some way to uh, destroy someone. Uh, then he says a false witness who breathes out lies. Wow, that's not truth. And lastly, one who sows discord among brothers. How's the easiest way to sow discord among brothers? A little gossip can do that. A little uh, saying of things that are not true can do that. You follow where I'm at? That truth is important to God. Why? Because he is truth. And anything that's not true, it goes against his nature and character. That's the very definition of sin. If you follow where I'm at, all right, here we go. For humans to be godly, they must be truthful since God is, is truth and loves truth. Consequently, the enemy to God would be so because he did not tell the truth. Think about that just a minute. It was a lie that God has started in the first place. The adversary is called the devil, Diabolos, the Satan, because he lied. That's the violation against God. Now, now follow this. Our violation was in believing a lie, in trusting someone else with their information, which, by the way, we'll find out was false information. By trusting them, that's where our sin began. The rest of it was just the actions of an unbelieving, untrusting soul. Eating that fruit was just the illustration of what you had already done, what we'd already done in our hearts. We had not believed God. We had believed a lie. And because we had believed the lie, that's where the sin was. But believing that lie, we did what the lie demanded us to do. We ate that which was not ours. All right. All right. If you, if you follow where I'm at, that God is abundant in truth and that God is truth, go with me next. Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. Jesus said that about himself. Jesus is the incarnation of truth. Look at John chapter John chapter 1 just a minute. I, I know that I could probably just uh, call these out, and you'd say, okay, we already know these verses. I, I, I'm sure you do. So, but sometimes it's just good to look the verse over and say, I never thought of it that way. Or that's, that's right. There's a verse that I might need later to confirm the truth. All right. So John chapter 1. Well, my pages are all sticking together here. All right. Uh, let's pick up the here with. Let's go to 14. Let's start there. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only, begotten, uh, only son from the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. And he goes on to say um, that, uh, let's see, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean that Moses didn't tell the truth? Not at all. Not at all. What it's saying is the absolute truth is found in the person of Jesus. There, there wasn't any uh, coloring here, no, no lie at all in the Lord Jesus. Because he's God come in the flesh, he cannot lie, and therefore nothing but truth was in him. So that's what, what, we, what we see come from him. So Jesus is the incarnation of truth. Jesus taught in total truth and talked about truth. Several people came by to talk about his witness, and they said of Jesus, we hear the others speak, but you speak truth. 
We hear the others, they speak with somewhat authority, but you speak with real authority, and you speak with real truth. Jesus is truth, all right? I, I know, too, Jesus taught that people who do the truth will come to the light. People who do the truth will come to the light. John chapter 3, Jesus told them there that people who do the truth will come to the light. Uh, true worshipers must worship God in spirit and how? In truth. That's what he told the woman at the well when she was asking, should we worship in your mountain or our mountain? Which one's the right place? And he said, neither. The day's going to come when the true worshipers of God worship only in spirit and truth. Mountains are not the important part. All right? Uh, if we would pay close attention to the words of Jesus, or Yeshua, I guess it is, so that we observe them with diligence, we would know the truth, and the truth would make us free. So just to get close to Jesus, get to knowing what his word, abiding in his word, listening to his word, paying attention to him, puts you in the place of truth, and the truth is going to make you free. All right. There is no mixing of lie and truth. You are one or the other. Jesus said, you are not of the truth. He said to the uh, um, Pharisees, you're not of the truth. Now, wait a minute. Are you saying that they didn't have some times when they told truth? Well, yeah, when they're quoting the scriptures, they were telling the truth. But that's not their truth. They're quoting someone else's truth. Everybody follow what I'm saying? So when you go from quoting his truth to now making your own rules that you say are are, are, uh, abiding with these statements of God over here. You're not telling the truth. You're telling your understanding of things. That's not the truth. The word is the truth. So he's calling them liars because they were of their father, the liar, because they twisted the word of God to mean what they wanted it to mean. All right. So that, that makes you in a position of being a liar. The Holy Spirit, whom Jesus would send to us, is the spirit of truth and will guide us into all truth. So Jesus already promised this in John 14, 15, and 16. He said this, I am going away, but as I go away, know this, I'm sending my spirit back to you. I will not leave you like orphans. I will send you my spirit, and he's the spirit of truth. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Because here's, here's the amazing thing. I I, I can listen to somebody's sermon. I can listen to somebody's message, you know, and I can say, ooh, I like that. That was a good point right there. And if I don't write it down, there's a good chance I'll remember part of what he said, but not all of what he said. All right, now let's get the picture here. None of the disciples carried iPads with them at all. None of them had tablets and recorded things down. None of them had tape recorders. They've got Jesus' word. Now, now get the picture. They assume that Jesus is going to be with them how long? Forever. This is cool. We're about to go into the kingdom. We're taking Jesus with us. And he keeps saying, no, 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 I'm going to die. No, 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 you don't get it. You're not going to die, Jesus. We're not going to let you die. We're going to stay right here with us, and we're going to listen to you all the time. So that's the night when Jesus is telling them, and they for sure get it. You really are planning to die, aren't you? you this is what's going to happen. Yep. Now, what goes through your head as you're thinking about, he's not going to be here anymore? What did he say on May 5th? I don't remember what he said on May 5th, but it was really good because I remember writing it down in my mind. May 5th is a good message. Oh, I can't remember that. And now you're starting to think, you're leaving us to take care of everything here? 
how are we going to remember what you said? How are we going to remember the processes you gave us? How's that going to happen? And he's letting them know, when I'm gone, I will not leave you orphans. I will send you my spirit, and he will bring back to your mind those things which I taught you. Oh, hallelujah. You can see John later in 1 John chapter 2 write, Oh, man, guys, you have an anointing from the Father. You have the Spirit of God who, if you just get with the Word of God, He will seal that in you. You'll have that. That'll be yours. You'll, you won't even have to worry about what you're going to say when they bring you before the synagogue trial because I'm going to be with you. That Word is going to be with you. That Word is a living Word. It's going to be a part of you. The Spirit of Truth is going to bring that Word to you. All right? We have been set apart Jesus even went so, is, is this still on? Is it still coming across okay? Okay. We've been set apart. Jesus said, Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So get the picture. You have been set apart by God as his own peculiar, particular people. You belong to him. And the way he's done that is through his word. He gave you his word, and now you're set apart in a very safe vessel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctify them in your truth. You are in Christ. Where's the truth? In Christ. So you're set apart in that truth. Everybody see where we're at? So truth is extremely important. You say, what has this got to do with martyrdom? Everything, everything. Hang with me, okay? Um, those associated with Jesus were truth tellers. One of Jesus' greatest commendations of John was that he bore witness to the truth. He said, you, you have persecuted and even killed a man who, d- who did nothing more than bear witness to the truth. That's all he did. He didn't ever come up with his own thoughts. He always said, this is what the Father said. This is what the Word said. This is what the Father told me to tell you. This is what the Father said. See what I'm saying? Well, let's go on beyond that. A faithful witness is essential to establish the truth of any matter. A faithful witness is essential to establish the truth of any matter. At school at times, we'll have uh, some student come and say, so-and-so did something to me. Okay, that may be. So we go ask, so-and-so did. Did you do that to them? No. Okay, you say yes and you say no. Which one's right? How would I know? You know, I, I wasn't there. I didn't see any of it happen. So I don't have some special sixth sense that goes, ah, I know it's you. <laughs> no. So what I have to do is go look to see, was anybody else with you when that happened? Well, yeah. Okay. Who was it? Now, pull that person alone, not with either of the other two, and say, what did you see happen during that time? Well, I saw this one do this, this, and this, and this one did that, and this one did that. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Anybody else with you at that time? Yeah, so-and-so. Okay. We bring that one in. Now, you say, does that take a long time? Yeah. Yeah, it does. But I'd rather follow what the Scriptures say and have the Father blessed because we followed the right thing than it is to just take somebody's word for it that that is what happened. And a lot of times by the time we get done, we find that it wasn't quite what either one of them said. Okay, So um, 
that's, that's the way that the Father has established the affirmation of anything that's, that's true one way or the other. Everybody with me? All right. So because humans, let's just take a look at a few of these things here. Because humans are fallen from the holy character with which we were originally created, we have a difficult time speaking the truth and giving a faithful witness. So the Scriptures call for us to bear truthful testimony with as many, that's many, not man, many eyewitnesses to an event as we can. So you try to gather all the eyewitnesses you can, not just one word, somebody's word against another. That's not adequate, okay? Now, that may frustrate both of them, but sorry about that. I, I'm not going to just be willing to take somebody's word against another one, all right? I, I remember taking a particular episode one time, and this little boy came up, and he was just crying like everything. My Hot Wheels car is out in the cornfield. My Hot Wheels car is out in the cornfield. How'd he get on the cornfield? Bobby tossed Bobby threw it in the cornfield. Bobby, did you throw that in the cornfield? No. Bobby, I'm going to ask you again. You throw that in the cornfield? No, sir. He threw that in the cornfield? Yes, he did. He threw my Hot Wheels in it. I said, Bobby, do you know where the Hot Wheels car is? Yes, sir. Where is it? It's in the cornfield. How do you know it's in the cornfield? I tossed it. Wait, I already asked you that. No, sir, you did not. You asked me if I threw it. I didn't. I tossed it. Bobby, I'm going to wring your neck. No, sir, I tossed it. What do you mean? This is throwing. This is tossing, okay? So Bobby didn't throw anything. He tossed it, okay? All right. Truth. Truth is sometimes hard to come by, all right? Now, uh, what's that? Yes. <laughs> Bobby has won many cases. <laughs> all right. Due to our limitations as physical humans, we cannot see all sides of a single event. Have you ever been uh, at the scene of an accident when it was happening? Uh, you get to see it from where you are, but if you were on the other side of the street seeing it, might not be the same way. So you need to get as many different witnesses as you can. So if the police officer's taking a long time figuring out who did what, it's because he's trying to find out how many different angles was this seen from and how can I put this accident back together again and know what the truth was. Due to our emotional character, we sometimes are emotionally involved with the happenings of some event and cannot give a faithful recall to what happened. You ever done that before? Be involved with some, some events to the point you were just shaking from it and you were emotionally up, and now there's somebody asking you to bring it back again, and you're going, uh, uh, I don't remember exactly. Why? Now, once you calm down, you might remember, because you actually did see it, and your brain did record it, but right now you're emotionally charged up that you can't recall it, all right? And some of you have probably been through situations just like that. Um, <clears throat> it is also known that we will make up details of an event uh, to resolve the missing or fabricated elements of our testimony. Our minds do not like to have things not resolved. They'd rather have them resolved, even if they have to fabricate some of the missing pieces. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? That you, you know something took place, and you're thinking about that thing that took place, but 
maybe you closed your eyes during a certain period of time, or maybe you just blanked out when this particular thing happened. And there are details in here that you don't have. So it's known that we will make up details to go fit in there to resolve it in our head. Because in our head, we don't want things to be unresolved. We want them to have a tidy answer. All right. Then uh, due to the pressure from others, humans have been known to change our witness to conform to another's testimony. That's why we don't like to bring a whole group of people in to talk about something, some event that took place. When you bring a group in, now you're allowing everybody to hear somebody else's story, and the first guy's story bears a lot of weight. Now everybody starts coming up with the same story that that guy had, and now you think you've come to the truth you may not have. You may have five repetitions of the first guy's story. During a terrifying or fearful event, humans have been known to create details or completely blank out on details of the event, appearing to forget the event as if it had not happened at all. Our our son Caleb... uh, fell down a hole at a construction site. And he, as he fell down that hole, there was supposed to be a staircase there, and somebody forgot to put the staircase there. So he, he fell down, and he fell down backwards, smacked the back of his head. I mean, busted open pretty good. That was a nice big gash back here and concussion and all that sort of thing. And a few little twisted-up bones here and there. Nothing broken, thank goodness. So we asked him how it happened. Zero. Couldn't remember a thing about it. Couldn't remember falling through the hole. All he remembered was he woke up in a helicopter. How did, he, how did I get in this helicopter? And the next thing he knows, he was waking up over at St. Louis University Hospital. Now wondering, how did he get the hospital? Didn't he remember the helicopter ride? Okay, so why do you need two or three witnesses? You, you follow that? So our father has said, there are limitations you have as human beings. Therefore, I don't want just one person's word to be the final say for anything. I need to have, I want you to see as many perspectives at it as you possibly can. I want you to put the story back together from the pieces that you have, okay? Uh, In the time of the New Testament, that was supposed to be completed by saying in the time of the New Testament, they were calling for witnesses. Remember, one of the events that's recorded in Jesus' life is uh, a lady is caught in adultery and all the witnesses come uh, all the men bring to bring her there, and they see Jesus, and he's riding in the sand and so forth. And his simple word was, let, let he's without sin bring the first accusation. Well, they all left. He asked them, where are the witnesses? I don't have any. Then I can't condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. If, if all we're at... That's, that's what our Lord's requiring. One of the common uses of objects was a witness as, as uh, wow. Well, this is bad typing. Who did this? I'm going to have to blame somebody else for this. Well, I don't have enough witnesses. <laughs> uh, witness to the truth. Many kinds of natural resources were used as witnesses. Stones were used as witnesses. Living trees were used as witnesses. Landmarks such as outcroppings of rocks or springs, streams, caves, branches were all used as witness. Um, do you remember uh, when the, the Ark of the Covenant was open? What did they put in it? They put the Ten Commandments. Here's this rock thing that shows uh, that somebody wrote on it. and Somebody wrote with a pretty powerful writing. What else did they put in it? 
manna. Remember that? Manna. And it didn't rot. Remember that manna would rot. If you, if you tried to keep it overnight, it'd rot. But here inside this box, it's not rotting. They also put Aaron's rod. And he had an almond branch that he used for his rod. And his branch had bloomed. It goes inside the, the, the box. Why? So that when you open the box and your kids say, how do we know any of that took place? How do we know that really you guys came from Egypt? How do we know that you did this? Because that's, that's a big question right now. Big questions being asked all over the place is, how do we even know there was an exodus? There was no exodus. That's, that's just nonsense. And, and they couldn't have crossed through the Red, the red Sea. They, they crossed through the reeds. And you, you have to think, oh, that's, that's really fantastic. What a, that's a bigger miracle crossing through the reeds than it is crossing through the Red Sea. Why? Because all of Pharaoh's army was drowned in the reeds. Duh. How did that happen? Okay, well, so here's, here's the big problem you got, guys. If you don't have those witnesses there, those symbols, so that when you open up the box, the kids take out, this is Aaron's rod that budded. This is what manna was. This is the stones that Moses carried. These are the original Ten Commandments. You got that, kids? Put it back in there. Now those kids have to say that was the truth. Why? Because those objects were the witnesses for the truth. Everybody with me? All right. <clears throat> Witness, uh, written covenants were witnesses of truth or an event. So they'd, they'd write a covenant. They'd seal it. Everybody's signature and so forth was on it. Seals on a document was a witness of legitimacy. You know, we've been reading through uh, the book of Revelation, and it had seven seals on it. And those seven seals were the, 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 the symbol of its authenticity. This is the original document. The temple was a witness of the relationship of God with Israel. When you came in in Jerusalem, and here was this magnificent temple, that was a symbol of God's truthfulness. The only reason they made that temple is because they had a covenant relationship with God. And that temple spoke of that relationship. Okay, the scriptures tell us that Jesus is a faithful witness. Listen to this from Revelation 1, 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So Jesus is the faithful witness. That's a significant statement that's made about him. If you follow where we've gone so far, Jesus is giving testimony to the truth. All right, let me go on further. Revelation 3, 14. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, these things says the amen. Now, amen doesn't mean the end. What does, what does amen mean? So be it. This, it's a way of saying this is the truth. So when we close our prayers with amen, we're saying what I have just said is the truth. The things I have asked for, I've asked for truthfully. These are the things that are true, okay? So, amen. And it says, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, it's wanting you to know this because there isn't anyone like this. This is the only faithful and true witness, and what you read in the book of Revelation is what was given to the faithful and true witness because he was the faithful and true witness. That's why you're getting it. That's why you can know that what we're reading in the book of Revelation or what we're studying in the book of Revelation is the truth. 
Now, get the picture. Not necessarily my application or my interpretation of what we're reading. No, what the text says is the absolute truth. This is exactly what John saw, and this is exactly what God told John. That's all his. So uh, that's the truth, all right? Jesus calls on the believers to be his witnesses. We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to be Jesus' witnesses in all the world to every nation, Acts 1.8, and ye shall be my witnesses in all the world. All right. So that's what we were empowered. You shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Witnessing would be the plan of God and the Lord Jesus for this good news of the gospel to reach every corner of the earth to every people group on the planet. We were simply going to witness to the truth of what the gospel is and that witness because it was true. That's why you cannot, you cannot switch the gospel. You can't change the gospel. That's the truth. You've got to to be speaking the truth. That's why in Galatians, Paul was so incensed. How did anybody change the gospel, guys? How can you change the gospel? That's not truth. If anybody changes the gospel, he said, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. Let that man be damned. This is, this is wrong. You can't change the gospel. This is God's message. It's not free to be altered by Pharisees or any other group of people. You cannot do that. All right? So <clears throat> that, that's the plan of God to reach the whole planet, and it has to be the truth that's going on. To witness is martureo. Martureo. That's the, the Greek word, martureo. Now, in our language... When it switches over from Greek, we don't we use a Y instead of the U. All right? So where you see this martoreo, that's where the word martyr comes from. Because the U doesn't come across that way. It doesn't come across with that sound. To be a martyr. All right. So if you followed what we've talked about so far, what a martyr is is a witness of the truth. Now, there are times that some people don't like the witness of the truth, and they do physical harm to people. That's not what happens in every situation. A martyr is simply one who is witnessing to the truth. You know what the Bible says, and you're holding exactly what the Bible says as your witness. You're telling people what the gospel is. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I go ahead at times and include the life of Jesus as well. <clears throat> Why? Because without the life of Jesus, death of Jesus doesn't make sense. He's God come in the flesh. That's what his life was about. Follow that? He's God come in the flesh. That's the only reason his death could be for us. Otherwise, he's just another dead Jewish man. But because he is God come in the flesh, when he dies for us, then the Father can look at the work of the Son and say, yep, I will accept the work of the Son in the behalf of other people. So the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the, the gospel itself. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried, and was raised again according to the Scriptures. All right? All right, let's take a look at this uh, last little section here. To witnesses martureo and to be a martyr. Acts 4.13 says this, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John 
and perceived that they were un, uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. In other words, we can't get around the fact that something nobody can explain, the only way it could be explained is if God did it, since we can't uh, stop that. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in his name. What do you say? I don't want them to witness any more about who this Jesus is and how this happened. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What does a witness do? He speaks about the things they've seen and heard. That's all a witness does. You speak about the things you've seen and heard. So that's what they did. The witness of the gospel, because it was the salvation and liberation of people from the hold of the liar, was not only opposed by him, but also was opposed by those under his spell. In their frustration to have it stopped, unbelievers often used threats of violence up to and including violence itself. Thus, martyrdom went from the term to witness to a term which meant cold-blooded execution of anyone who would give a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ or his way. Acts 7, see Acts 7 for a New Testament example apart from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, a martyr. That's, this is the stoning of Stephen. Okay. And there in, in Acts chapter 7, you could run the whole account of the stoning of Stephen and what took place there. So in other words, kids, we have been called on to be witnesses. Of what? We're witnessing what the gospel is. Do you know what happened to you? Yep. I think you know what happened to you when you trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Can you give witness to that? Did you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that what happened to you is because of the Lord Jesus Christ? then give a witness and a testimony to that. You have been called to be his witnesses. You have been empowered to be his witnesses. That's what it's about. So as a church, not wanting to live by lies, we do want to speak the truth. And the truth is Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross for our sins in our place, was buried and rose again according to the Scriptures. That's what we're going to give witness and testimony to. All right. Thoughts or comments so far? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Both. Because of their witness, they were killed. Yeah, some have not been killed, right. But let's, let's go to Revelation just a moment. Let's take a look at something that I think is important to see uh, about this matter. Revelation 12. Let's pick up on verse 7 of Revelation 12. We're going to read down a little way here. Now, war rose in heaven, Michael and his, his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated 
and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Hear the, hear the importance of truth. He's a deceiver. That's what makes him the enemy of God because he's not telling the truth. He's deceiving people, all right? He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come down for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Let's go back to verse 11. They overcame him, or they conquered him, by the blood of the Lamb. Now that means that they understood that they had been saved by the blood of the Lamb. They knew it was the blood that Jesus shed for them that paid for their sins in full. So they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And it says, by the word of their testimony. That's their witness. That's their witness. So they're testifying to the fact that the blood of the Lamb is what saved us. And they testified the fact that Jesus died, was buried, rose again the third day, and we are saved because of that, and you can be too. All right? So that was their testimony. It goes on further to say, <clears throat> for they love not their lives even unto death. So the church must come to the realization that even if it means dying for it, truth is still truth. And it must be important to us enough that we're willing to lay down our lives rather than say, no, I won't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he died on the cross for my sins, that he paid for my life in full, or that he was resurrected. There is no part of that we'll compromise. No part. That's what it's about. So is that, do you see where we're coming from with that? That's what happens to them. The souls that were under the, um, the altar in uh, Revelation 6 for seal 5, those were the ones who had been martyred in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or had been executed because of their testimony of faith. Yes, I think they were. Uh, it, though I'd have to say, let's go back to Revelation 6 just for a moment. Yes, they were probably beheaded. Um, uh, yeah, let's take a look at Revelation 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. And those who had been slain, uh, let's see, and for the witness they had borne. So that's what they're dying for. And they, that's, that's how they died. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you'll judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe, told to rest a little longer, and until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves were. So, yep, they died. All right. Anything else? I put down at the bottom down here, under the admonition to live not by lies, the church must train itself to be those who listen only to the truth and speak only the truth, to be faithful witnesses. Right. Now, if that means that we die, we die. But until that time, how many people 
could be rescued from the pit of hell by a simple testimony of what Christ did in your life about what Christ can do in their life, about what Christ is willing to do in those who will trust him. You know, we're witnesses. And that's what martyrdom really is. It's about being a witness. If that results in death, then it results in death. If it doesn't, then be be fruitful, man. (laughs) Have a great time. Just get as fruitful as you can. Anybody got anything you want to say? Or add to, take away from? All right. That's it. Look at look at that. Oh, Al's going to be so happy with me. Yeah. Here's the t- here's the time that I. Well, what? <laughs> but here's what we know about those. Contrary to some people, they were not pocket tablets. Some some have an idea that they were just pocket tablets. They were not. They were they were full fledged rocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. All right. God bless you guys. Let's have prayer. Father, we thank you so much. You're so kind to us. Thank you so much that you're a truthful God. And you cannot lie. Thank you that you have said that you would save us, and we trust you because we know you cannot lie. Thank you, Father, for the way in which you created this world and you created it all truthfully. Thank you for the way you've established truth on this planet. We recognize that we are living in a, uh, an adversarial world that doesn't always speak the truth. Father, cause us to be a people who do always speak the truth to reflect on the Lord Jesus Christ, to look like he looks, to know that we would speak the truth, even if sometimes that means not saying anything, because there's some things do not deserve to have something said about them. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do in us. We ask that you would deliver us from lies, help us have discernment, we can recognize what things are true, and I'll give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen.